0: They were born identical twins, preemies, 12 weeks too early, born in the Massachusetts General Hospital of Worcester, Massachusetts, barely weighed two pounds. Little sisters, Kiri and Brielle Jackson. Now, Kiri snapped right into it. She began to gain weight. She slept nicely at nights, doing fine, but little Brielle, not doing well. For some reason, her weight, her weight was, was, was not gaining. Her, her blood, oxygen level in her blood was low. She had breathing problems. She had heart rate problems. Four weeks into Brielle's journey through life, crisis. Her stick arms and a tiny little face turned bluish gray. Her respiration went off the charts. Heart rate up. She got the hiccups, a sign of dangerous stress for that tiny little body. Neonatal intensive care unit nurse Gail Kasparian tried desperately to stabilize Brielle, Brielle, all to no avail. Then she remembered something a, a, a colleague of hers told her once. A common practice in Europe, forbidden in this country, it's called double bedding multiple birth babies, especially preemies. Now, in her hospital, against policy. Why? We're afraid the twins might pass some sort of infection between each other, so they're in separate uh, incubators. Desperate, though, Gasparian scooped up little Brielle, raced over to the incubator, placed her inside that hole beside her sister Kiri. And in that moment, and I'm telling you the truth, I went to Snopes, Snopes.com to check it out and then read the uh, record in the Wooster Telegram and Gazette. In that moment, when Brielle snuggled up to Kiri, her blood oxygen levels suddenly soared. She began to breathe easier. Her crying stopped and her her skin began to turn back to that normal pinkish complexion. Somebody snapped a picture in that incubator. Life magazine picked it up. Reader's Digest picked it up. And you can understand it's all over the web today. In fact, these little twins became so famous... That And that picture became so famous that the parents had to get an unlisted number. People kept calling. How are the little girls doing? Well, the little girls are doing fine. And here's the picture of them in that incubator. The picture circulated for a while and then it was given a formal title. It's been called the rescuing hug. Proof enough. Photographically and medically. That we really do need each other. I reread the story to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And lo and behold, I am startled to discover at the end of the story in Acts 2, there is a rescuing hug. I had never seen it before. We have to go back to where we were last Sabbath. Go back to Acts 2. Because look it. Tucked away there in the ending is the strategic secret to a primetime generation. That would be you living in primetime history. And that would be now. Open your Bible with me, please. Acts chapter 2. You didn't bring a Bible. Oh, boy. Grab the pew Bible right in front of you. Acts chapter 2. You got to see this for yourself. Acts chapter 2. We'll pick it up where we were uh, last week together. This is Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Verse one, I'll be in the today's new international TNIV. If you grab the pew Bible, it's the New King James. Whatever translation you have is fine. Just make sure you have a translation. You're listening in the overflow room. Grab a Bible there. Acts chapter two, verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's the whole point of this kind of praying. You can't do it in your bedroom at home. You can't do it in your dorm room. This kind of praying has to be done in a group. They were all together in one place. That's why we have house of prayer. All together in one place. And suddenly, verse 2, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. We unpacked all of this last week, so we'll keep reading. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, verse 4, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. For ten days, ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you, they have been in that upper room in this house of prayer and they have been praying and praying and praying. What have they been praying for? They have been praying for the passion of God to become their passion too. How do you know that, Dwight? Because of Pentecost. Do the arithmetic. Fifty days earlier from Pentecost would be Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. What happened in Passover? The divine Passover Lamb of God is lifted up. And Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me and boom, to a gasping universe. Universe, mind you, the earth is not watching. To a gasping universe. The all-inclusive, all-consuming, supreme the passion of god is finally irrevocably revealed and that is god has a passion his hottest and f- most fiery passion is for lost earth children they sought 50 day, 50 days later 10 days after jesus has left Those ten days after Jesus left, they are praying and praying and praying. God, give us your passion. Please, I'm pleading with you. May I have your passion. I can't be a witness. I cannot reach this world for you unless you give me your passion. For ten days, they're claiming the last words Jesus spoke to them before He ascended. Just turn the, turn the page back. We, we were there last week as well. Verse eight of chapter one. You remember this. Jesus said, look it, but you will receive power. I'm telling you guys, you wait upon, you wait upon God. You pray, you're going to receive power, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Something's going to happen to you. You will have new fire. There will be a passion in your soul that was not there before. It will be mine. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For ten days they have been claiming this promise. And boom! While they're in group prayer, they're not at home sleeping at night. They've come back for group prayer. While they're in group prayer, the heavens open and tongues flaming. The very gift they were seeking. God, loosen my tongue for you. They receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's move to that rescue hug ending in this story. All right. So last week we read uh, verse 14, didn't we? Then Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice. And he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Verse 15. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Come on. Verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Some of you are thinking, I am so old. There is no Holy Spirit for me. My friend, you are so wrong. If you're thinking, I'm so young, there's no you're wrong as well. By the way, that's why when pioneer worships, we worship all together. We don't put young adults over here. We don't put teenagers over here. We don't put children over here. We don't put the senior citizens over there where they all have hearing aids. We all come together. Because Joel and Pentecost are about everybody together. Not all of us corralled in our little play pens. We don't need that. We need cross-cultural, cross-generational worship and prayer together. And that's what happened. And oh boy, look at that. Now, verse 22. Now he's moving to... this This is the heart of a sermon. Verse 22. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God... To you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, verse 23, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you were the help of wicked men. Oh, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But verse 24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, verse 36, therefore. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Hit the pause button right there. i got to ask you a question. Help me out here. I'm a little confused. Is this the same Simon Peter who 50 nights ago crumbled with a query of a fair maiden? Who said, hey, wait a minute, wait, aren't you one of this Jesus guy's followers? Is this the same Peter who reached into his fisherman's book of obscenities and turned the air blue? I never knew that blankety-blank-blank-blank blank, blank man of my life. Is this the same Peter who was gripped by fear? So insecure, so unconfident, so unable to say a word in public except curse. Is this the same guy? Apparently, when the Holy Spirit comes into you, inarticulate though you may have been, timid though you are, fearful though we all are at times, no matter how it is inside, when this Holy Spirit comes upon you, apparently that little orange tongue is a promise that I'll take your tongue. And I will give a witness through you that no other human being at this moment could give but you. St. Peter. Apparently, the Holy Spirit can turn a coward into a champion for Christ. Good news for you and me thinking, well, you know what? This primetime series, I don't think it's going to be able to really help me. <laughs> Please. Please. All it takes is your praying, your pleading to be filled with the spirit of God and the passion of God. And by the way, get this. All the while you're witnessing, wherever it is, you're witnessing in the dormitory, in the cafeteria, you're in a business um, somewhere in this uh, community or in the county, wherever it is that you're having this conversation. All the while you are witnessing the Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of those who are listening or the heart of the one listening. That's what's happening in this story. By the way, John R.W. Stott in his wonderful commentary in the book of Romans, he made a point once and I have never forgot it. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. I want you to remember this as long as you live. Always remember the other man's conscience is on your side. When you're witnessing to somebody, it's not you against, it's not you against that person, it's two against one. Because the mighty spirit of Jesus is the conscience is controlled by the Holy Spirit. The mighty spirit of Jesus is inside that other mind and is tugging and saying, you know what? This girl's got a point. This this guy, this guy has a point. Even with an atheist, when you witness to an atheist, she has a conscience and that conscience, his conscience is just like this under the control of the Holy Spirit. You need to be you need to know. Whenever you open your mouth for Christ, the Spirit is working on your side. Isn't that great? And by the way, we're going to, how do you witness to an atheist? Halfway through this series, we're going to spend two Sabbaths talking about atheists. Okay? All right, verse 37. So, so, so while Peter's preaching, look, at the Holy, this is the proof. The Holy Spirit is working. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That means conscience. It's been already going. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And get this. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hit the pause button right there. If you have never been baptized before. You do not have the gift of the Holy Spirit right now. The only way you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. Unless a woman is baptized by water and the Spirit, unless a man is baptized by water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You have to be baptized by water to be baptized by the Spirit. If you have not been baptized by water, my dear friend, why wait? This is it. You can be baptized. You get the gift. Two baptisms go together. Cornelius, Acts 10. Somebody pointed this out to me. Lois did after first church. She said, you know what, Dwight? The Gentiles in Acts 10 actually got the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. She's right. Spirit first and they went right in the water. It happens. It happens together always. Why, Why put it off? Be baptized. You want the Holy Spirit, don't you? It's the greatest gift a human being can receive. Ah, All right. Verse 39. Oh, by the way, Peter says the promise is for you and your children. And then he's thinking about you and me 2000 years later and for all who are far off. Boy, we are far off from back then for all whom the Lord our God will call. Hold on. Verse 40. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. Day, And many people end the story of Pentecost right there. Hallelujah. Three thousand baptisms in one day. And I have always done the same. Until I found out that the secret, the secret is tucked away at the end of the chapter, right after what we've read. The secret is the rescuing hug. In fact, I wish you'd get that down right now in your study guide. Where's your study guide? Pull it out, please. Take your study guide and jot that down. The secret to Acts 2 is the rescuing hug. You didn't get a study guide? We've got the friendliest ushers in the world and they're coming your way. Hold your hand up. You want to have this. I've got four strategies for you right here. You're going to want these four strategies. Just hold your hand up all the way to the back of the balcony. And those of you watching on television, we're delighted to have you. You can go to our website, get the identical study guide. Let me put it on the screen for you. Www, that's our website. Pmchurch.tv. And you're looking for a new series called Primetime. This is part two. Last week was Playing With Fire. If you didn't hear last week, you should just click on it and you can get the podcast later. But right now you're looking for The Kingdom Advances Among Friends. And you're looking for those two words, study guide. When you click on study guide, you'll have the same one. So you've got a study guide. All right, don't get discouraged. They're coming your way. Hold those hands up, ladies. Fellas, Okay. And and, and fill it in. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, is the secret of the rescuing hug. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for this rescuing hug. So let's put it down before we read those final verses. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, is the secret of the rescuing hug. All right, keep your hands up. We're coming to you. But look at verse 42. So, 3,000 were baptized plus 120 in the upper room. That makes 3,120 in this new church. Verse 42. And they, all of those, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the only book the apostles had was the Old Testament. And they taught out of the Old Testament. So, this is Bible study. So, number one, they had Bible study, the apostles' teaching, and a fellowship. Number two, they were big on community. They were having that interaction. Number three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And you need to understand, this is eating in each other's homes as well as having the Lord's Supper. It can go either way. They did both. And finally, number four, and to prayer. Now, the problem in this translation is the Greek is plural. It should read and to prayers. F.F. Bruce, the great New Testament commentator, he says that's describing the seasons of united prayer that the early Christians enjoyed. Again, you can pray at home alone all you want. It's not the same. You will not experience the same. It is in the collective, united gathering that we grow spiritually. And the Holy Spirit is poured out. So that's what they did. Those four components. Now look at this. This gets better. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44. And all the believers were together. That's a key word here. You'll count it three times. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together. Not just once a week or twice a week. Every day. Wow. In the the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God. Oh, Luke loves that phrase, praising God. The shepherds are praising God. The angels over Bethlehem are praising God. The next chapter has the people praising God. They're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, here's where the light bulb went off for me. This last line. Watch this now. Final line. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that amazing, ladies and, ladies and gentlemen? Did you ever notice this before? Verse 47 follows verse 41. Did you ever see that before? 47 comes after 41. What's happening? In that sequence, the strategic prime time principle that we're locking on to today is revealed. Jot it down. What's that principle? The kingdom of God grows not only through public rallies. Oh, big, big evangelistic meetings. Yeah, we, we've all been to those. Hallelujah for them. But note, the kingdom of God grows not only through public rallies, but just as successfully through private relationships. Public venues, yes, but private visits. My friend Ruthie Jacobson, I love the way she puts this. Jot it down again. The kingdom. Advances among friends. Among friends. That's how God grows His kingdom. Hey, praise God for the 3,000 that joined the church in that single day. But no less significant are the countless numbers of men, women, children who were daily. In fact, you know what? The church had these, a few of these public venues, but they had way, way more of the daily. Men, women, and children being added daily. Daily. Quietly. Through interpersonal Interaction. The kingdom of God advances among friends. How does it work, Dwight? Let me share with you. I'll sit down now after I give you these four. Four methods. And then I'll sit down. Method number one. How does it work? Jot it down. Enlarge your circle of friends. I'll show you how it works. Enlarge your circle of friends. So, who are the friends that God is hoping and praying that he can reach through you because of your, your, uh, your gracious. Very unique and personal kind of witness. Who are the friends? Listen, I don't need to tell you who your friends are. You already know who your friends are. But so that you won't forget. Let's do this right now. Let's take a moment and write down on our study guide. Write down the friends you have who are lost. They have to be lost. I don't want family members. These are friends. Not children, not parents and uncles. and No, these are Friends. If Jesus were to come tonight, you know they would not be ready to go to heaven with Jesus. Who are those people? Would you jot their names? Put put the blanks on the screen and you just fill it in. Who are the people you know who are lost right now? I see some of us, we're already looking up. That, That wasn't very long. You know what? We probably don't need a lot of time to filling out a list of the lost people that we are friends with because we don't have very many friends who are lost, period. Bill Hyvel's wonderful book, Just Walk Across the Room. I'm reading that book right now. And in this book, he shares two graphs. And you see in your study guide where it says graph one, graph two. Let me put the graph on the screen for you. Let's take a look, please, at graph one interaction with people far from God. Now, you see that the years walking with Christ. That's when you accepted Jesus and you became a follower of Christ. And year one, year two, year three, year four and all the way down. You see that that graph when you accepted Christ, you let's just say you knew 20 people. At high school, at college, at work, 20 people who are lost. But notice what happens to that graph. Where is the line going? As every year progresses, isn't that a reality of our lives? We know less and less people who are really lost. Is is he onto something here? The longer we live in this community of faith, and by the way, and Springs is a fortress of faith where too many of us hide. The longer we live, the less number of people you can count on one hand who I know are lost and are my friends. Oh, you can name everybody in the town if you want, but not one of them is a friend of yours. Bill Hybels puts it this way. This trend spirals downward year after year until Christ followers face their dying day and realize they have become completely insulated in an evangelism void vacuum. There's just no soul winning taking on happening at all. Cause I don't know anybody who's lost. And then he describes how you and I Oh, boy, does this sound familiar? He describes how we horse trade with God. All right, God, I got a deal for you. Here's what let's do. Let me put it on the screen for you. These are Hyabel's words. But here's my deal, God. I will, get all, I will get all over spiritual development. Man, I'm going to be really into developing myself spiritually. I will be a Bible knowledge hound. If you want, I'll throw myself into the building habitat for humanity homes all over Benton Harbor every summer, in fact. And I'm going to climb all over volunteerism. If there's a ministry fair coming, I'm signing up. I'm going to show up at church five nights a week. If you ask me to, I'll even go to a house of prayer. You let me off the evangelism hook and I'll prove my love to you in a half dozen other ways. If it kills me, that's my deal. You say, I have never made that deal with God. I'm grateful you haven't. If you're a young adult, you haven't. Probably. Don't look around you. There's some who are older than you. And this horse trading with God is not an aberration. I'll get involved in all kinds of ministries in this church. I'll just do it. Just let me off this business of having to find lost people and win them to you. Just give me a pass on that one and I'll really work hard here. Graph number two, Bill Hybels. Let me put it on the screen for you. This is a love quotient graph. You know, graph number one is our typical lifestyle, life cycle rather. Jesus, this is the life cycle Jesus is calling you and me to. You come to Christ in year, year zero, year one. You're so excited. You're beginning to accept grace. Just follow that graph. You're accepting grace. You, you, man, I got, I got some gifts. I got, I got to help grow this kingdom. And then you start focusing on people. And a few years into it, you're spreading grace to others. You're looking for people everywhere you can. You are looking for lost people. That's the cycle. That Christ calls His followers to. Until finally, Hybo says, he puts it down here, the longer you walk with God, the more open your arms become. Instead of clenching tightly to a small circle of insiders, you throw out your arms. You're opening them to those outside the circle who may need to come in. Let's think of it as the rescuing hug. You are just say, who can I touch? Who can I hug for Christ? say, oh, Dwight, how can I possibly do this? I don't have any lost friends. How can I grow a list of lost friends? All right, the final three are for how you can grow that list. Let's go. Method number two, engage in low-risk, high-grace activities. Oh, I like that. Low-risk, high-grace activities. In Ruthie Jacobson's delightful new book, Bridges 101, she describes what she means by this phrase. This is in your study guide. By definition, low-risk, high-grace is any kingdom witnessing activity that is comfortable for the timid, but has the muscle to make a powerful grace statement. It's a love-sharing activity that is doable even for those who have never seen themselves as members of the God squad. Low risk. Her little book is chock full of stories of activities as simple as giving away at the county fair, giving away bottles of water, free. And on the back a little tag from the church and a phone number and Jesus loves you, something like that. It's, it's going into a village gas station like we have here in Berrien and deciding that for two hours, gas is going to be reduced. We will subsidize gas 50%, 50 cents on every gallon. So the price drops for 50 cents during those two hours. And their little team is up, moving up, washing the windshield, hand, handing out granola bars and welcome cards. I love this one. She tells a story in her book about little Johnny. Johnny has 19 years old and has Down syndrome. Vice presidential nominee for the Republican Party. Held her little Down Syndrome baby up in front of the world to watch. So this is John. He's 19 now. He went to church and heard about this business of you know witnessing in some kind of simple and easy way for Jesus. And he talked it over with his dad and he said, what what do you think? And he came up with an idea. He decided he would write a little phrase, just a little feel-good, pick-em-up phrase that he would coin himself and that he's working at the supermarket Every bag that he packed at the supermarket, he would drop in a little slip at the end. Low risk, high grace. Nobody even saw it at first. People started going home, pulling, hey, where, where, where'd this come from? Hey, this is from that supermarket kid. A few weeks later, the manager came walking out in the store, what is the problem here? Because there's a line snaking from Johnny's checkout counter all the way through, uh, uh, what's the word? Freezer, frozen foods. Thank you. Were you there, first service? You need to stay with me. Help me out. Frozen foods. <laughs> that was our children's story, first service. The choir, they're, they're, they listen the hardest in first service. Uh, so thank you for that. Hey, look, we got three other aisles here. Nobody's here. And they, they went over and said, hey, you, you got a free aisle here. you got a free aisle here. Free aisle here. And everybody said, no, 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 no. We want to be in Johnny's aisle. The kid made an impact by dropping a simple little piece of paper where he coined a pick-em-up phrase. A woman came in tears one day to the manager and she said, You know something? I've been coming back here every day. He says, Good. I've been coming back here every day. Because that one day when my heart was broken, Johnny dropped a slip in that bag and it spoke to me and God touched my life. Hey, listen guys, it's called low-risk, high-grace. You got a bright mind. You got a timid heart like mine. That's okay. You got a bright mind. Use that mind. What can we be doing around here? What can I be doing around here? Low grace, high risk. All you need is a heart that prays. And by the way, we got a ministry fair coming. Look at this. We got, let's put it on the screen. The, uh, the, uh, poster for this. This Friday night, you got to come. Friday night, I don't care who you are, where you live in the community, and of course, university students, Friday night, look for the big tent on campus. because we're going to fill it with low-risk, high-grace ministries. You can sign up and you will begin to develop a new circle of lost friends. We want to help you. We don't have to make this... We don't, it's not like pulling teeth. We want to make it easy. Volunteer. Low-risk, high-grace. Friday evening, you come. You come. Bring your friends with you. We're going to have a great time together. Why not? It's about extending. It's about engaging in activities. Low low risk, high grace. All right, method number three. Spread your warmth. Spread your warmth. Ruthie's husband, Don, was my preaching prof, by the way, in the seminary when I was here. Great man. Don and Ruthie are wonderful people. Anyway, he was traveling over in Japan. So he's riding on a Japanese airplane. Reading a Japanese magazine that he does not understand, he's just you know you're looking at the pictures, and he comes to a, a well this is an ugly ad it's it's gray it's drab and there's this old butterfly on it and he's just sitting there looking and there're Japanese words underneath it I can't figure it out and the Japanese businessman beside him realized the quandary he was in and explained to him what this instructions say is put your hand over the butterfly to which John Complied, put his hand over that butterfly and pulled his hand away. And through special ink, that butterfly had turned into the glorious colors of one of God's great creatures. And then Ruthie says, "Ah, who in your world needs a warm hand to help them blossom and come alive? This is not rocket science. You can take the warmth of Christ wherever you go. Just put your hand on somebody. Bring out the colors of God destined into that life. Just put your hand out. You know what? It's like stopping and talking to a stranger. So you're, you're pumping gas together. She's on the next pump over. What's wrong with talking? What's wrong with just saying, hey, what's up? You're just stopping to talk. Maybe it's a little old lady crossing the street. You, you race over to help. You're in the cafeteria. Now, boy, I tell you, it would be great when they get the full cafeteria going because it's very crowded downstairs, as you know. But even so, you will find people in the crowd who will find a place to be all alone. You know why? Because they don't have anybody to sit with. That's why it's not like they're hermits. They just don't know anybody. You go across that cafeteria. You take the long walk and you put your tray down and you say, hey, can I sit? I, I noticed the seat is open. Can I sit here? Just put your hand. Let the colors of that butterfly begin to emerge. Just show some warmth. You at the laundromat? A lot of laundromat usage in a university town like this. Talk to the people who are in the laundromat. Spread the warmth. may turn out to be you're the rescuing hug that that person was desperately needing that very moment in time. Method number four, finally, practice radical inclusiveness. Would you jot that down, please? Radical inclusiveness. Bill Hybels describes this radical inclusiveness this way. He says, when you have this, you have new eyes. You see that there? You're going to have to fill it in. You have new eyes to see things as Jesus saw them. You allow people's foibles and failings and faults to fall away. Instead, you see in them their potential. Write that word in. It's not what's there now. I'm Trust me. It is not what's there now. But you see the potential. Spirit-infused. You see a spirit-infused state. Now, I love this illustration. You see filthy-mouthed, Party-loving, woman-chasing Joe, and you say, what would Joe, what would, even a guy like Joe, what would he be like if God ruled and reigned in his heart? Joe would be incredible if Christ invaded his world. I mean, you see somebody walking by dressed in Gothic. You say, Ah, brother. No. You see, what we've been doing is we've been walking by all the Joes and Jills that just don't fit in to our very proper paradigm Oh, that's a hopeless case. Forget it. Look, that guy's a druggie, man. What are you going to do, try to witness to him? We keep walking by the very people that may be wide open for that rescue hug. Practice radical inclusiveness. Instead of writing people off, find a way to draw them in. Circle them. Touch them. Bring a warmth. And say, I'm here on behalf of the Lord Jesus to tell you, you can live in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Say do I'll never be able to do that. Oh, please, you can. Radical inclusiveness means we've got to reach out to the people we don't feel comfortable with. You may be, I repeat, the one rescue hug that that little preemie is desperate to have in order to live forever and ever. By the way, Bill Hybels, I got somebody who wrote. A hundred years earlier. The very same point. In fact, if you come to our Contagious Adventist Seminar, you'll get this syllabus. And this quotation will be in the syllabus. Next Sabbath. Only next Sabbath you have an opportunity to sign up for the Contagious Alpha Version, Contagious Adventist Seminar, next Sabbath. Here's the quotation. That's in what will be your new syllabus. Watch this. This is written, words written a hundred years ago. Christ's methods alone will give true success in reaching people. The Savior mingled. Hey, hey, what, what, what does mingled mean? What's mingled mean? When you mingle, what do you do? Yeah, you're just hanging around. You're just hanging around. Jesus mingled with people to the place. People were saying, you know what the problem with this guy is? He hangs around. He mingles with prostitutes and tax collectors and other such sinners. Jesus said, it's not about me. It's about them. And he let the reputation go. He mingled radical inclusiveness. He mingled. He said, hey, you having a party? Can I come? He didn't do what they were doing in the party. But he was there so that he could touch them in the party. And there's a world of difference. Radical inclusiveness. Isn't this something? He mingled. The Savior mingled with them as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. And then he bade them, hey, guys, girls, follow me now. And boy, were they ready to line up? I'll follow this guy to death because he won them. He won their friendship. The kingdom of God advances among friends, not among strangers, among friends. Ladies and gentlemen, prime time 1, Pentecost 1. If it worked that way with Pentecost 1, don't you suppose that prime time 2, Pentecost 2, it's supposed to work the very same way. The kingdom of God advances among friends. I want to be I want to be that kind of friend. I want to be that kind of a friend to the human race. Don't you? Uh, don't you? You want to be that kind of a friend? Stand to your feet. You say, okay, Dwight. Yep, you're standing. I'll stand. Sure, I want to be that kind of friend. I'm willing to, I'm willing to get timid over this. But if this is a low-risk, high-grace appeal, I'm willing to stand. I want to be a friend of the world. I want to be a friend of this campus. I want to be a friend of this village. I want to be a friend in Walmart. I want to be a friend wherever I go. Oh, Jesus. This isn't rocket science, is it? Simply being like You. It's the way You were. Radical inclusiveness. It's the way You lived. You mingled among men and women and young adults. And You said, hey, what's up? And you hung there. You stood there. You were a friend there. We stand because we want to be friends too. We want to be friends to those in need. Jesus, take this humble little tiny response that we're making and grow it. And fill us with your passion for lost people, I pray.